Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, the government is getting ready to flip-flop on paid sick days. Is it better late than never? President and CEO of the Hamlin Tiger Cats, Scott Mitchell, will join us to discuss the pushback for the 2021 season. And how much bad news can we really take? Experts need to keep us informed, sure, but there's a fine line between sharing important information and feeding our anxieties. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Premier Doug Ford in the hot seat once again because of some of the things, policies, and some of the comments that uh, some of his ministers have made over the last couple of days. Uh, Right now, though, he is in isolation, we are told, in Toronto after a member of his staff was in close contact uh, with him. And uh, the staffer tested positive. Apparently, the Premier's been tested, and uh, he was tested negative. But as a precaution, he's uh, not showing up for work these days. Uh, Laurie Paris has more details. A statement from the Premier's office says Doug Ford has tested negative and will continue leading his government's response to the pandemic while in isolation, including briefings with officials and communicating with the public. The statement says members of the Premier's office staff who were close contacts of the individual who tested positive will also isolate. It adds it is seeking additional guidance from Toronto Public Health on all precautions that the Premier and isolating staff must follow. Laurie Paris, the Canadian Press. Uh, all things considered, though, uh, the fact that he's in isolation right now, uh, not the most important thing, I guess, going on with the Premier right now. It's been a bad five or six days uh, for the Premier and, uh, well, by extension, I guess, for the people of Ontario. Uh, in many people's minds, uh, some of the policies that have been announced and the, the, the supposed rationale behind them uh, have been a, a public relations nightmare for this government over the last little while, and that's starting to be reflected in the polls. Joining us to talk about this is Laura Babcock, President of Power Group Communications. Uh, Laura, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time today. My pleasure. Uh, if you were consulting, <laughs> what if? Uh, this has been a bad five or six days, and I know there's a lot of finger-pointing going on about who decided to do what. Uh, there's one thing that we do know, though, is uh, they have uh, an expert medical panel, of course, uh, and we've talked to many of them on this program over the last number of months, uh, that apparently are offering advice on a daily basis, and the Premier's not uh, not listening to it or just ignoring it, whatever the case might be, which seems to be in... in from what I've heard, are probably the most egregious uh, of, of all the things that the Premier's being accused of these days. Where to start, Bill? I mean, the, yeah. there's the actual crisis in the province, a crisis that didn't have to get this bad. The doctors warned in February that there would be a disaster in April. They spelled it out, and now we have literally doctors having to triage patients as they come in, deciding on who gets the life-saving care. It's that bad. We have doctors from the Yukon, over 5,000 kilometers away, being asked by their government to come and help us out in Ontario. And they're saying they couldn't imagine in their lifetime they'd be asked to come and insure up a crumbling healthcare system in the GTA. I mean, we are supposed to, as the most populous province, we've got a lot of money, we've got a lot of resources. The fact that it's come to this didn't have to be and we can and should put the blame where it belongs on the leadership now there is a federal component here and maybe we'll see ford pivot and try to blame the province for the slow vaccines coming in for not shutting down international flights and there's some there's some legitimate um complaints that can be made against the trudeau government on that as well but the reality is that in ontario with the vaccines that were available there is a chaotic vaccine registration system. They had a full year. Ford and his team had a full year to figure out centralized vaccine registration, and it's a complete and utter disaster. There is public policy that's all over the map. One minute there's 
police powers in a police state. The next minute, police are standing up against him. There's parks that are closed. The next minute, they're open. People in Ontario are not just in danger of the virus and the variants. They're in danger of the chaos. They can't plan. They can't predict. They have incredible stress and anxiety. So, so much of this comes from the leadership. Doug Ford's inability to to lead, to communicate clearly, to have consistency in his policy, and to listen to the science table. Uh, it's, so it's more than just a PR crisis and an international embarrassment now. It's also a crisis of his very leadership and his ability to make cogent decisions based on science. Well, and we, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning of our, of our conversation here, that's starting to be reflected uh, in polling that was done this week. I guess he's dropped nine points uh, in, in the popularity uh, polls. He was never that high to begin with because of things, but there was an initial kind of a honeymoon period, I guess, when they started figuring, okay, he's got this, but uh, evidence over the last couple of months indicates that's not the case. Uh, and if there's one thing we've learned over the time that uh, the Doug Ford has been in office, uh, Laura, it's that uh, he and his, uh, his staff and I guess his cabinet are very sensitive uh, to public opinion. I mean, they, they do react to that as they did on Friday and we're told that he was very ticked off and very upset uh, that police force after police force on Saturday morning said we're not doing that uh, we're not enforcing this we're not going to do stop and search for you people uh, which was a real slap in the face I guess to the to Ford and to his cabinet right now how do you react to this I mean obviously he wants to get back on the horse here right now but the, all indications seem to be that people in his inner circle are giving this guy some bad advice well, I've never accepted the argument for any leader, corporately or politically, that their poor decision-making, poor communications are based on the fact that they're receiving bad advice. It is who you want to listen to. Ford has access to a science table. He's got ER doctors and specialists screaming on social media all day long what they need in order to save lives. There's plenty of good information coming to him. It's whether or not he chooses to take it or he chooses to take the advice of political operatives who are saying, oh, you better do something now, announce something now because you're in trouble. And then we come out with these half-baked announcements that are delivered unprofessionally, fall apart within 24 hours. Did the police even get a heads up? that they were going to get new powers? Did the pharmacies even get a heads up on on Sunday night that suddenly 40-year-olds can get the AstraZeneca vaccine? I don't think that they did. It's absolute chaos. So it's it's. I don't think that excuse flies, that you're getting bad advice. As a leader, and you put in something like a science table, you can listen to the actual science in a global health pandemic. You can take the actions that they're warning you, begging you to take, or you can ignore them, do half measures, and put the people in an incredibly precarious position, so much worse than it needed to be. So is he going to come out today, and is he going to blame the federal government and take no accountability? Is he going to start, or is he going to start listening to the science table and to the doctors in this province and actually put a real solution on the table like paid sick days? I mean, I don't think he's got another chance of doing something like he did last Friday, where his cabinet argued the press conference was late, he finally threw something out there that he hadn't consulted anyone about, it falls apart within 24 hours, he looks incredibly foolish. And to your point about his popularity, it's very rare that a single press conference or policy announcement has that kind of a deleterious effect on the polls. I mean, that's how bad it was. So if he's planning today, after five days of effectively hiding from the public, coming out with anything that's about, you know, hey, friends, folks, we got to get through this together and blame Trudeau, if that's all he's got, I don't think he's going to see his polls go up.
Well, and, and as you mentioned, I mean, there's some culpability here. I mean, the vaccine program is, is yes, fraught with all sorts of problems. We get that. Uh, but the reality here is all the experts I've talked to, and I, I, I'd like the premier, I listen to the medical experts. Laura, I've had Dr. Uni on the program, Dr. Schwartz, uh, Dr. Bogosh, a number of people that are on that, on that panel. Uh, and they're offering advice on a daily basis. And they've all said in unison, you can't vaccinate your way out of this. There have to be some protocols put in place and the government has to understand exactly where they're coming from. And, you know, what we're told he may be adopting right now vis-a-vis -vis maybe sick days and, and maybe a couple of other options right now, like pivoting the, the vaccination program to the hotspots. Uh, the doctors have been telling him that since Christmas of last year. And, and he has ignored that advice. Uh, I, I guess you can say better late than never, but I mean, you know, look at how out of control this has come in the meantime well you know as i mentioned off the top it's an international embarrassment the washington post last week called for him after his disastrous press conference called for him to resign uh, and there's been tremendous amount of uh, movement in the right-wing media or at least in his supporters in the media who are saying you know what this is incompetence there's no getting away from the fact that ford was told what to do back in February and what would happen if he didn't have the courage to do it. And he didn't have the courage to do it. He didn't put Ontario in the kind of lockdown that we clearly needed. He hasn't set up a system of testing or a vaccination uh, that was targeted and effective. And so what we've resulted in is the worst case scenario in this province. And as though many of us are trying and spending you know days trying to get these vaccine appointments and get the vaccine, it's not going to magically solve this. Children's hospitals are now full of adults who are narcissistic. People are being shifted around the province. The, as I said, the doctors are having to do triage. You know, it, it shouldn't come to this. It shouldn't be like this. And it's not just the fact that he himself isn't listening. We've seen members of his, you know, of his caucus talking about Chicken Little and the sky is falling and making it sound as though somehow Ontarians are overreacting. This is not partisan. This is about people actually living. Forget about losing our summer. We're losing our lives. This talk now about a cabinet shuffle. I mean, one of the stories that CBC was reporting this morning uh, was that uh, two of the most, uh, I guess, outlandish uh, suggestions that came out of Friday, uh, A, the police powers, that apparently came from the Solicitor General uh, Jones herself, and the closing the playgrounds was Christine Elliott's idea. That's one of the reports that we're hearing right now. Uh, and I go back to the point, and you're right, I mean, ultimately, I don't care who's giving him advice, whether it's a cabinet minister, whether it's a, ultimately the decision is his. He's the premier of the province of Ontario, and, and you know, it rests with him. So he's got to make those decisions based on, on the, the solid advice that he's got. But what bothers me about this is the reporting about last Friday is that apparently he got this advice from, from the, the panel, the medical panel, and, and apparently some of the cabinet ministers didn't like it, so he had a special cabinet meeting. That's why, as you recall, that media conference on Friday was supposed to be 2.30. It was 4 o'clock, and this is so basically so the cabinet could go in and revamp the policies. I mean, who's in charge here? Well, that's an excellent question. And so is it a, is it a divide between his rural caucus and uh, the people who are in the big cities in the inferno, as he called it? Because, you know, it feels like a different reality depending on where you are in this province. So I'm sure there's a lot of pushback around restrictions from some people who aren't feeling the, the vaccine as much as people in the, in the inferno areas in the GTA. Uh, is it, you know, some social conservatives who aren't, haven't been on board with the whole vaccination restriction stuff since the beginning? Is he pandering to that base? Is it the fact that he is in a completely over his head and overwhelmed and is subjected to any kind of pressure that he gets? If you look at how his team responds to public pressure, this chaotic, 
whiplash kind of. I mean, I've I've been in crisis with corporate clients. I've sat there in cabinet meetings, if you will. And I've made we've made public policy and we've come out and done press conferences. It is incredibly stressful. But if you don't have leadership that can see through the stress and look at the bigger picture and chart a course and have some thoughtfulness and due diligence behind their decisions, then it's absolute utter chaos. And that is what we are seeing. I talk to business leaders all day, Bill, and they are watching this. It's not just the decision making. It's the ineffectiveness of it. It's the chaos in the communication. It's the lack of evidence and due diligence. It is not a way to run a business, let alone run a province in a global pandemic. So is he being blown around by the pressures in his cabinet? Is his team being blown around by the public pressures? It certainly looks that way. And while that might be a tempting way to knee-jerk run things, it's not how leaders do it. And I think Doug Ford's leadership, rightly, is in question. And anyone on his cabinet who gets shuffled around, if they have been part of this, part of this chaos, if you look at even Lecce in education, he was saying schools were safe and the next day they closed them. You know, they are, I don't know that there's the bench strength in his caucus to lead this province. And I think that Ontario voters are really going to look at this cabinet shuffle skeptically. If, in fact, they go that way. I mean, that's only one of the rumors. Uh, as we mentioned, 945 this morning, he's going to have this, this presser, uh, virtual presser. Uh, what do you expect to hear? Well, I know that if he sets a tone of friends, you know, buckle down, things are bad, we all need to be super cautious. If it's that and then, you know, some some small movement on certain things, some certain bad policies, and then pivots to blaming the federal government, if he, if he follows that, I think it's going to hit with a thud because the situation he was in last Friday is so much worse than this Friday. If he is not able to come out with something that very clearly acknowledges that they're, they're that I know, don't expect them to acknowledge that they've made any mistakes, but acknowledges that there has to be some real change in terms of the uh, way that they are tackling this problem, including paid sick days, which I think is what everybody is looking for. If he doesn't come forward with that, if he doesn't explain that there's going to be some sort of new measures to deal with this chaotic vaccination, you know, um, it's almost like the Hunger Games in Ontario trying to get a vaccine this week. If he doesn't come out with some solutions to the problems, uh, that he himself has made so much worse, I don't think that it's going to be a success. And if it's delayed because of chaos, uh, it's going to be even worse. We just heard today that he doesn't know how to use a computer. We just heard that this week. That in itself might seem funny, but it's not funny when you're looking for a leader to understand sophisticated technology and science in a pandemic. I think he's got a lot he's got to achieve at 945 today in order to regain some trust from the Ontario public. I mean, this is common sense 101. I mean, nobody expects Doug Ford to know everything about pandemics or about pandemic control or about epidemiology. But we do expect him to rely on the people that do have that expertise. And and as we've talked about on the program for months now, uh, these are world-class experts. I mean, these are people that are, are highly regarded around the world for their expertise and their work in these fields. Uh, and they're sitting right there saying, Mr. Premier, what can we do to help? Uh, the job one today should be, you know what, I want these guys at the table. And and uh, you know and stop the daily press conferences because I'd rather hear from Dr. Juni and and others uh, about what we should be doing. This is a medical emergency, a medical crisis, and we need medical expertise, not politics, political spin on this. Well, you know, it reminds me a little bit back in the days with Trump when he started to bring Fauci and those guys on the stage, but then he didn't listen to their advice. 
it became using them as props. So I don't think Ontarians want to see these scientists being used as props. I think if they're going to put the scientists forward, then it has to act. They have to follow with policies around these scientists. So, it, and in terms of him having the access to the expertise, we are a year plus into this. This is not a unique situation in Ontario. The pandemic, the variants, the whole thing is raging around the world. The difference is other places have made better decisions. Their leadership has been more science-based, more effective. Their communications have been clear without loopholes and wishy-washiness. And what's ended up is they've had better results. They've flattened the curve. They've been able to get back to some semblance of life that has led to better health and mental health in their countries. He is not in a unique situation here there are best practices but he's starting to look like a unique failure laura babcock from power group as always laura thanks so much for this we'll be watching and listening with great interest later on today thanks for the time today my pleasure take care you're listening to the bill kelly show podcast on 900 chml yesterday we got some good news some very welcome good news. Uh, the CFL is uh, pushing back the start of the 21 season, but we're going to play football this year. Uh, it's a shortened schedule, uh, and the Grey Cup is going to be at, at Tim Horton Field in Hamilton, as per usual. And I just judging from my attitude and the people I've seen on social media over the last 24 hours or so, uh, it's the best news we've heard in a long time. Joining us to talk about this is Scott Mitchell, the president and CEO of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Scott, great to have you back on the show. Hope you're doing well these days. Bill, thanks for having me on. I hope you're doing well as well, and all the listeners are uh, hanging in there. We are. We are. I've been waiting for news like this. I know there have been some peaks and valleys. We've talked to you and to Randy Ambrosi and others about this, and there have been some ongoing discussions. Uh, it looks like you've got a, a deal in principle. I know there's still some hurdles to overcome here, but uh, the fact that we're going to play football this year, I think, is the best news we've heard in a long, long time. I agree with you, Bill. It was a it was a good day yesterday, and uh, and obviously uh, I think really important to to have our commissioner, who really for the first time was in a place to be able to say uh, publicly that look, we're we're going to play football this year, um, and that that was huge. I know that was important for Randy to communicate that to our fans and our partners, and uh, and we have nine uh, teams that are uh, that are committed to playing football this year, and uh, and then Randy obviously uh, articulated the vision uh, and the goal is to start to, in early August. Um, as you said, uh, you know, obviously we all need to get through this uh, this third wave, and particularly here in uh, Southern Ontario, uh, where we have uh, two teams in Southern Ontario, and of course Ottawa. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's some things we've got to overcome, but I think there's a terrific plan. I think it's uh, it's very pragmatic. I think it's uh, I think it's uh, well thought out, and we're looking forward to starting to play football Tim Hortons Field in uh, yeah, as soon as August. We hope. One of the things, of course, are the discussions that are ongoing, not with just the federal government, but with the provincial government, too, to talk about those regulations. Uh, because it's, as you've articulated, and I guess as you guys talked about in the meeting, Scott, it's different in different parts of the country now as to who can do what and how many people can uh, gather and things of this nature. Uh, so there's some, there's some negotiations that need to be had here, for instance, with the provincial government here in Ontario about crowds. Because I, I know that the announcement yesterday, uh, Randy was quite explicit about the fact that we want to make sure that people are going to be in the stands now as to how many that's going to be i guess that has to be determined depending on how we go with the pandemic and the vaccination program no that's exactly right and and of course every jurisdiction is going to be different uh i i do think though bill um you know we've heard the prime minister and and all of our politicians uh you know make it very clear uh consistently uh that uh that all canadians who want to be vaccinated and that with that first dose should be vaccinated by the end of june And, and now if that's the case um you know we feel as though there's a strong position that at outdoor facilities, uh, 
um, using the proper health and safety protocols, which could include social distancing, masks, and everything that uh, that is so vital to keeping people safe, that uh, there really should be a very strong case to be able to put fans uh, in stands, as I said, in an outdoor facility uh, come uh, come August. And uh, certainly that's been the response and feedback we've gotten from a lot of people in the medical community. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a, obviously a lot of unknowns. This thing is, uh, this virus is highly erratic, um, and we've got to keep a close eye on it. But, you know, clearly, um, you know, the only way out of this, uh, whether people like it or not, is uh, is the vaccine. And uh, we need, as Canadians, to, to commit to getting vaccinated. Um, you know, we're all going to be struggling with this for a long time if we can't get to a point where the vast majority of Canadians are, are vaccinated. And the federal government is telling us, and the prime minister is telling us that that opportunity will be there by the end of June. So that's an important uh, threshold uh, and uh, and time for us to, to plan the rest of the year. From a, a, a personal standpoint, a, a football team standpoint, and the Tiger Cats standpoint here, uh, what what are the next steps in this process now, Scott? I mean, I know you've been in constant contact with your players on, on both sides of the border, uh, and, and just in anticipation of something like this happening. But, but how do you start pulling it all together now? Well, look, I think... Uh, Certainly, our fans have been incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible, Bill. You know that. It, it's mm-hmm. been astounding how they've stuck with us, uh, um, how positive they are. And uh, and I can't tell you how much we all appreciate that in the organization. And I know at times, uh, you know, there's there, there's some frustration that people want more information, and we all understand that. But to the point of your question, you know, what what's going on while, um, while we're not necessarily communicating every day? We're planning, and it's very, very complicated. It's very intricate, but what I can tell you is that uh, the CFL has a world-class team uh, that are working on the health and safety protocols, on the return-to-play protocols. Uh, we've got terrific uh, a medical team uh, who've helped other, all the other major leagues, uh, obviously including the NHL, get back to play. So, you know, we've worked out an unbelievably sophisticated uh, plan uh, that uh, I think deals with all the issues that we need to deal with to get back on the field. I think that that plan has been unbelievably well received by several provincial health authorities. Um, you know, we certainly are behind here in, in southern Ontario. There's there for good reason. There's other priorities, but uh, you know, we would like to see um, some some excellent communication with the province of Ontario here for the next uh, couple months to ensure that, uh, like the other provinces, we're going to get a chance to to get on the field and uh, and play. So, I think from here on out, it's important to, to be uh, to be communicative to our partners, to our stakeholders. Uh, but there is an excellent plan, and that plan is, is what's allowed us to, uh, to to put that August 5th date uh, down as, uh, as our go date to start the season this year. Scott, is the, uh, the, the border closure a concern, or is that one of the issues that's going to be on the table when you talk to the province? Well, the border issue is, is obviously is a federal issue, Bill, probably yeah. as you know. Um, and, you know, look, the reality is, is that there's been a lot of precedent set uh, in terms of how they've dealt with the NHL and uh, and some other sports. Uh, so, of course, the border uh, is is an issue. Of course, the irony is, is that I think in some ways now Americans are more concerned about us coming into to the U.S. than the U.S. Uh, people coming into Canada. Um, so, you know, the vaccination clearly is far ahead in the U.S. than it is uh, here in Canada. But, uh, you know, we've had lots of good discussions with the federal government. They're certainly aware of what our what our needs and requirements are going to be. And as I said, we've got a terrific program that's been articulated and uh, and, and written up by medical experts that are well-respected in the uh, in the community in uh, Canada. And, you know, it's it's obviously the border is always going to be an issue, but we think we've got a solution to it that's, uh, that's very reasonable and pragmatic. 
Well, and there's a, a roadmap for you guys anyway, isn't there? As you say, like the NHL, when they use the bubble and they use Toronto and Edmonton as, a, as the sites for that, it, it worked pretty well. Uh, there's going to be an isolation period, but that's, as we're finding out now, negotiable anyway. So there's, I think, some flexibility here for you guys too, isn't there? Well, there is, but, you know, ultimately, you know, our focus is going to be on the health and safety of our, of our players, our staff, mm. and, of course, uh, all Canadians. So, you know, we're not going to ask for anything that's, uh, that's not reasonable, that's not very respectful of, uh, of all Canadians' health. And, uh, and our players, our staff, they understand that, uh, that there's going to have to be sacrifices made to get back on the field. And we'll, we'll adhere to any and all of the uh, regulations that are, uh, that are required and, uh, and demanded, and rightly, rightfully so, from, uh, from the federal and provincial governments. What's the relationship like with the Players Association right now, Scott? I know that in the past there's there's been a rather acrimonious relationship, and I know that uh, it's it's been a problem in some past negotiations. Uh, it's going to be a different schedule, a smaller schedule. There, there are some issues here, but I I got the sense from the announcement yesterday that uh, Brian Ramsey, who's the executive director for the Players Association, uh, that I'm not going to say that you yeah, get ready to hold hands and sing kumbaya, but there seems to be a much better relationship than there was uh, in in past years. Well, I, I think there is. I, I think at times, you know, obviously when you go through labor strife uh, and obviously pro sports, it tends to be very public. But, uh, you know, I think Brian and, and, and Solomon do a great job for the Players Association. And Brian's an old uh, ex-Tiger cat, of course. Yep. Uh, and we've got an excellent relationship with uh, with Brian. We've got a player relations committee on that I'm fortunate enough to sit on uh, that I think works extremely well with the Players Association. And these, are, these are very, very difficult uh, issues, Bill, as you know. And I mean, you know, when we wake up, uh, and certainly when I wake up uh, every morning, and I know Bob feels the same way that uh, you know we're, we worry about the players, and and it's not a this has been a horrific time for our players to to not having played last year, to not be able to get your game checks last year, and certainly I think yesterday was great news, but it's not lost on any of us that. Uh, that um, you know, there's there's four games that the players are going to miss uh, this year. So, you know, I think I think we understand, and, and certainly, uh, um, you know, we we are all constantly thinking about our our players. These are difficult circumstances where everybody's got to make uh, got to make a sacrifice. But I think the most important thing, and I know what our organization is constantly uh, striving for, is in terms of this year, is getting our players back on the field as quickly as we can in a very uh, healthy and safe manner uh, to play as many games as possible because that's what they want and that's what our fans want. Uh, very quickly, we're just uh, very tight on time here, but uh, you mentioned how, about how busy your staff is uh, in the Tiger Cat offices. Uh, Grey Cup is going to be here this year. It's going to be a little bit later, of course. It'll be into December right now. We've played Grey Cups in December in the past, so that's not a, a much of a problem. But uh, uh, I know that they have never really taken the foot off the pedal here to try to make sure that there's going to be an interesting festival. And it's uh, I, I know that, you're, that there'll be some details about that coming out a little bit later on, but it's a pretty exciting time to know that the, the championship, the Grey Cup, is going to be here after all. I think you're right, Bill. And, and look, I think uh, the one thing that, uh, that that we're proud of is the fact that this is going to be the only championship that Canada really uh, really gets to host this year. You know, we're not going to host the World Series or the NBA championship or the Stanley Cup Finals uh, in all likelihood. Uh, you know, this is the only major championship, and it's Canada's annual biggest annual sporting event. And uh, you know, we're incredibly proud. We're incredibly excited to bring this to Canadians. I think. Um, when uh, we kick off or that uh, uh, that Grey Cup, it's going to be a spectacular moment to, for Canadians to bond together and hopefully uh, uh, be part of a, a perhaps a new normal, but certainly a return to uh, to normal and opportunity for Canadians to celebrate. And no better place to do it in Hamilton and uh, at Tim Hortons Field.
but but and again, I know that you know even when we were talking about this last year, obviously it's not business as usual. But there have been some some ideas and some opportunities to pivot and to try to make this uh, a worthwhile festival. I, I know in talking to some of the other teams around the league or some of the other fans uh, over the last number of months, Scott, and I know you've had a, day, a lot of discussions with them too. Uh, I, I get the sense that these guys are chomping at the bit to, to go and, and a play football, but b uh, partake in the Grey Cup. I know there was some concern about well, are people going to be concerned about traveling or said I. I think you're going to have trouble holding them back. I mean, it's about time. We've been locked up far too long. We want to see football, and I think we all want to experience a Grey Cup week as, as opposed to just the game itself, and that's why I think a lot of folks are going to make this a pretty big event. I totally agree with you, Bill, and again, I would just uh, you know implore people uh, as Canadians, we need to get vaccinated, and, and I, I say that because uh, you know Grey Cup is, is, what, eight months away, and, and if we can – do a good job, get vaccinated, be responsible. Um, you know, we can have a terrific, terrific experience this summer, this fall, and certainly at Great Cup, I think uh, it's hard to be optimistic uh, these days, but I think uh, Great Cup could absolutely expect a spectacular experience for people, and I, I totally agree with you. I think people can't wait to get together. People can't wait to socialize, um, and I think it uh, has the potential to be an excellent uh, excellent party in Hamilton uh, for, for us here in the city as well as uh, Canadians across the country. Well, because I know when they talked initially about starting it off in, in June, uh, that was a pretty ambitious target, based, but it was, again, based on the vaccination rollout, and, and we've had some hiccups with that. So uh, I, the fact that there's still a lot of flexibility, and I mean, August is fine, you know, and I think it coincides quite nicely uh, with the, the, the revised schedule we've got for vaccinations. I mean, the more people are vaccinated, uh, the, the greater the possibility of getting a lot of people into the stands to enjoy football uh, and, and make this a worthwhile experience for everybody. If you had started in June as, as initially planned i don't think that was going to be possible i agree with you and again uh, bill we got to stop agreeing with each other today this is really boring <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know i'll take it when i can get it yeah you know, the western provinces you know they are ahead of ontario right now and, and that's the beauty of the schedule the way uh, the way i think the fans are going to see it in a couple of weeks is that you know we'll have some flexibility in there that uh, maybe the uh, southern ontario teams uh, won't quite be ready to host and host with fans uh, in early august and we can start on the road and uh, all of us can start on the road in the west and i think uh, clearly alberta saskatchewan manitoba there's going to be some opportunities there in august uh, that they might be a little bit further ahead and then uh, we come back and uh, and start playing our home games maybe a little later in august in, in uh, early september and uh, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe we even kick off our home schedule with a, with a Labor Day game against the Argos, and that certainly wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Exactly. Scott, a lot of great news about this, and I know more details to come in, in the weeks ahead, but uh, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Uh, stay healthy, and uh, we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Always enjoy it, Bill. You as well. Take care. Scott Mitchell, of course, president and CEO of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, with football starting in August this year. August 5th, actually, is the start date. And uh, Scott's point's well taken. The likelihood is that the Eastern teams are probably going to play the first couple of games against Western teams. But that's not unusual either. I think it was a year or two ago the Tiger Cats actually played, I think, the first two games of their season out west in Calgary and in Edmonton. So that that's that's no big deal. And then, you know, as Ontario catches up, with uh, the restrictions or the lack of restrictions, I guess, in some of those other areas, uh, you'll see the, everything even out and get it back into it. But, boy, there's so many people are just chopping at the bit to get this done going. But Scott's point is well taken. Make sure you get vaccinated. That's what this all boils down to right now. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Very emotional uh, Premier Doug Ford, but uh, there's still an awful lot of questions that uh, need to be answered. Uh, we, you know, I guess should be taking solace in the fact that the, the paid sick leave program, I guess, is coming, but we're not sure what it's going to look like or when it's going to happen. But 
Uh, very interested to hear some of the answers uh, from the Premier today. And again, the stats are out for today, and, and we're concerned about the number of people in ICUs, the number of new cases that are going on right now. We are being inundated with news like this, and uh, it's it's having an impact, as it did on the Premier earlier. He, he was choked up talking about this. And I think a lot of us are feeling the same way. We need to have information, certainly. We need to know what's going on and the severity of it. But, but every now and then, I guess we just you know, kind of need to release the pressure valve a little bit. And uh, how do you do that? And how do you carry on on a daily basis? Because uh, the numbers here are really staggering. Well, joining us to talk about this is uh, Professor Steve Judens. Uh, Professor Judens, of course, is a psychology at, uh, professor of psychology rather, at uh, the University of Toronto. Uh, Steve, pleasure to have you back on the program. Thanks so much for the time today. Great to be back with you, Bill. Why do we find this balance, Steve? I mean, I mean I'm looking at the stats today, and, and yeah. the, you know, you don't want to say, hey, forget it, guys, it's no big deal, because it is a big deal. Yeah. But at the same time, we're all human, and, and you know, we've all got our, our, our pressure points. Yeah, and, and when we get to that we're all human part, what does that mean? Um, we are mostly emotional beings. Uh, the most primitive parts of our brain, the limbic system, you know, they've been around since forever and we share them in common with a, with a lot of animals and we just have this new thing called our frontal lobes that's relatively newly evolved and that's where we do all of our conscious strategizing and all that kind of stuff um, and so as we go through this it is a emotional journey we're all being taken taken on but we're using our frontal lobes as a sort of nanny of that emotional system and, and basically saying, hey, you know those things you used to do, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. That's frontal lobe stuff that inhibits everything. And, you know, that's, the, that's what's getting all the data, all of these numbers. We're trying our best to be rational. We like to think of ourselves as intellectual, rational beings. But at our core, we are emotional beings. And this has been a really difficult emotional journey. And just as you say, at certain part, at certain points, that emotional system just kind of kicks in, and you know we see, like we did in the premiere, we see that the, the, what's really going on under the surface, the sort of duck's feet, um, and and that is you know an emotional kind of signal. And I think those signals right now are extremely important. I think we need to tap into the emotional system better than we have in terms of messaging and kind of getting more conformity with the sorts of behaviors we need to get this under control. It's really a double-edged sword, though, isn't it? I mean, there's the severity of it, and, you know, the numbers are here, and we've seen that, and we, we know how how severe the, the virus is, especially the variants on it. But, Steve, this has been going on for so long. I mean, when, when I started working from home last March now, uh, we thought maybe four weeks, five yeah. weeks maximum, and then this is going to be all under control. Uh, I have no idea how much longer this is going to go on. I don't think any of us do. No, and, and that I think that's what's really taken the toll, the sort of shifting goalposts, as it were, and, you know, even... You know, I think if you'd asked me two months ago, I was more optimistic. Oh, vaccines are coming out. We just all have to get vaccinated. Everything will be cool. And now with all these variants, we even have, you know, threats like, well, one of the variants could jump the vaccine. And then we're like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? <laughs> and so I think, you know, that's why we're all so anxious uh, because of the unknown. Our brain really likes to be able to predict the future and prepare for the future. We haven't been able to do that for over a year. Um, and, you know, to the extent we've tried, we've failed. Uh, and so, yes, I think we're starting to get to this point where what some people call learned helplessness, which is a tricky situation when you try to solve a problem several times and you keep running into failure, you start feeling like it's unsolvable um, and there's nothing we can do that will make a difference. And that's that term learned helplessness. And I think some of us are kind of feeling a little bit of that now. 
but we have to fight it because, you know, the vaccines are coming and, and we have to kind of keep our behavior in line. Um, you know, none of us wants to be the last person to die of COVID. We don't want our family members to be the last people to die of COVID. And that's sort of the, the quest right now is to do what we can to make sure as few people pass away as possible before we can get the vaccine numbers where they need to be. But as we look at some of the, the, I guess, the problematic end results of this, and the, the learned helplessness that you just described, I think I, I, I can see that manifest in a lot of people that I've been talking to over the last little while. Yeah. But the other, which I guess is also part of our human behavior too, is to simply say, all right, I'm shutting everything off. I, I can't deal with this anymore. I don't want to hear anything. Just don't, leave me alone. I'm just going to, you know, close my door here and, and, and just survive. You, you know uh, what? Which is not healthy either. Well, I've created a course at the beginning of all this um, that's available on Coursera.org. It's free of charge. Uh, oh, good. It's about managing anxiety, understanding anxiety, and managing it. And one of the things I'd say there is that we just can't be anxious all the time. It builds up um, a hormone called cortisol in our system, and, and that ultimately even compromises our immune system if we allow it to be there chronically. So we need escapes every now and then. Um, and what I recommend to people is if you have things in your life that when you're doing them, COVID disappears. Um, like for me, it's creating songs on GarageBand in the, in the basement. When I'm down there doing that, that's all that's there. And I think we have to see that almost as medicine to, to give ourselves a break, to give our bodies a rest. And there's certain things, by the way, um, things that involve typically singing, dancing, um, laughter, uh, those things flood our bodies with endorphins, which actually counter the effects of cortisol. So, you know, one, one of my recommendations I sometimes make to families is on your TV, on your smart TV, there's a menu system, and if you go in, you can find karaoke. Do karaoke with your family. Um, sing, especially if you sing badly. You know, you, you, you're, you're, you're laughing just thinking about it. So if you get that laughter going, you get that singing, do not feel guilty about turning off the news and, and having some joy for a little while. Um, we need that. That is like medicine. Uh, and so I would kind of recommend, you know, people digest these numbers, but, but in a budgeted way. You know, set a certain time, I will watch this presser, I will watch whatever, but I am not going to keep that news on all the time. Because essentially that's staring at the bear that's scaring us. Uh, and if we do that, we're just going to pump our anxiety right up. So budget that, take what you need, but then find other things that bring your mind to a better place. Uh, it's so, so timely you mentioned that. Just as, just as the premium was finishing up today, I got a text from our, our daughter uh, who's up in Barrie. It's, and it snowed. Of course, it snowed yeah. everywhere the other day. And he says, you know, and she says, I've been singing Christmas songs all morning. And I thought, well, that's, that's, that's a way to deal with that. You know, in other words, the glass is half full. So when it snowed in April, but you know what? It's it's Christmas time. You know, that's, 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 a way, that's a way to relieve the pressure, I suppose. Music in general, by the way, music has a real power to um, reconnect us with previous times when that music was popular. So, you know, I highly recommend people find playlists that are the music that was popular when you were like 13 to 18 years old, when we're all kind of music heads. Put that playlist on. It will transport you back to that, that time, that pre-COVID kind of time. It will bring to mind pleasant memories. And, you know, all of that is great. If something makes you feel good right now, that's medicine. And, and I, I even go beyond, you know, use that. I, I say schedule it. Imagine a schedule in your week where you have certain periods of time where you engage in social interactions. They make us feel better. Engage in comedies. Engage with music. Find these things that bring our mind to a better place and give ourselves a break from COVID now and then because we just can't do the numbers all the time. 
Okay, now where's that program you're talking about? Um, it's on co- something called Coursera.org. So it's C O U R S E R A dot org. And this is going to sound a little weird, but if they search mind control, because I'm teaching people how to take control of their own minds. Um, so if they'd search that, there's about 150,000 students who've already gone through this course. Uh, it's, it's very popular, and, and I hear it's very helpful to a lot of people. So, yeah. Steve, I always feel better after our conversations. You have a, a way of, of showing us different perspectives on this. Thanks so much for the time today. Stay well. Thank you, Bill. You too. Take care. Professor Steve Jordans, of course, uh, from the University of Toronto, uh, talking about how we should be dealing with this everyday stress that's going on. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.